There is no doubt in my mind, Chief Inspector. I am in danger, mortal danger. Excuse me, Laura. I've been watching her for months. Excuse me. You're suggesting that your daughter is slowly poisoning you? I don't merely suggest. I'm sure of it. But a short while ago, you stated it was your son-in-law who was trying to poison you. It's the truth. But an hour ago, at the outset of your statement, you said that your daughter and her husband detest one another. That is also the truth, Chief Inspector. And yet they're plotting together to kill you? Not together, separately. And your niece, Rita. She's at it too. So there are three people trying to poison you. Not trying to poison me. They are poisoning me. Ah. I am not crazy. I have a certificate to prove it. My husband was a state councillor, a very important man. Maygray's Special Murder by George Simonon. Dramatised for radio by Malcolm Stewart. With Bernard Hepton as Chief Inspector Maygray. Of course she's crazy. <laughs> Did you manage to get rid of her? Eventually, sir. Diplomatically, I hope. You know, in her day, she was one of the most beautiful women in Europe. So she kept telling me. Fortunately, I was interrupted by an urgent phone call. Uh, anything important? It was very peculiar. Oh, not another lunatic. Uh, that's what I thought at first. You get him about now. It's to do with the phases of the moon. <laughs> <laughs> what was it about? Well, it was rather incoherent. The man was obviously very frightened. On the run from someone. Well, could you get any sense out of him? Eventually, after he'd rung off and then rung back. He said a number of men had been following him since the previous afternoon. They'd been shadowing him in relays, apparently. But did he give any reason? He never got to it. He kept breaking off, moving from one call box to another. Oh, have you got someone on the job? Janvier. He's been out following up the various places where the calls are coming from. They were all little cafes in side streets. Mm. Hello. Is Inspector Maigret there? Yes, he's here. It's for you. No, thank you. Hello? Is that you, Maigret? It's him. Oh. Yes, hello? We were interrupted just now. He came in. He could hear what we were saying through the door of the call box. I'm frightened. Now, wait a minute. Who are you? What's your name? My name wouldn't mean anything. You don't know me. But you asked for me personally. It's my wife. She's met you. What's her name? Neen. Neen? Look, I can't explain it. It'll take too long. They're looking for a chance to kill me. He may be here at any minute. Where are you? The Tabak Devosh at the corner of the Plus Devosh. I wanted to come and see you, but he was at my heels. He wouldn't hesitate to shoot. Now, look, stay there till I send someone. Hello? Hello? He's here. He's just come in. Look, just have him arrested and I'll explain everything. Hello? Hello? You've lost him? Yes, damn it. I think I'll chase this one from my own office. Right. Excuse me, sir. Hello? The Tabac des Vosges? Am I speaking to the proprietor? Tell me, is the customer who was using your phone still there? Ah, he's just left. Well, did another customer come in while he was phoning? Uh, he left as well. Without waiting for his drink. Well, thank you. It's the police. No, 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 there's no trouble. Nothing to worry about. Goodbye. Ah, Javier. Anything to report? I couldn't catch up with him, but I got plenty of descriptions. Yeah? He sounds a queer customer. A little fellow in a fawn raincoat, grey hat, waving his arms about. Where was that? The Carve de Beaujolais. Ah. He burst in there, 
demanded an envelope and then rushed across to the coal box, shouting, Serve me a drink, anything you like. The landlord could see him through the coal box window, gesticulating excitedly. Then, when the other customer came in, he popped out like a jack-in-the-box and went running off. What about this second customer? Did you get a description? Squat, thick-set type, apparently. Black-haired. I also picked up something from the officer at the Place du Châtelet. This chap in the raincoat ran up to him, out of breath, in a great state of excitement, and asked him to arrest someone who was following him. Did he? No, because he couldn't identify anyone in the crowd when it came to the point. Yes, I see. Perhaps we are dealing with a loony. I wouldn't be surprised. <clears throat> Hello? Chief Inspector Maigre? Speaking. Where are you? The Quatre Saint-Jean restaurant, Boulevard Beaumarchais. It's absolutely essential for someone to come at once. Yes. Hello? Jean Vier. Quatre Saint-Jean. A restaurant on the Boulevard Beaumarchais. Right, Chief. Quatre Saint-Jean. And hurry. Luca. Yes, Chief. <clears throat> I'm going home. My sister in law is coming to dinner. And you know what Madame Maigret is like? I understand, Chief. <laughs> I've got to call in at the cake shop on the Avenue de la République on the way. Ah, yes, the best me feuille in Paris. If there's anything new on this strange business, ring me at once. Of course. In fact, if you hear anything about a little chap in a fawn raincoat involved in a fight or an accident, give me a ring. Don't worry, I will. Good night, Chief, Good night. and uh, have a glass of Calvados for me. Oh, no. <sighs> That's all right, Dad. Uh, hello? Luca here, Chief. Ah, Luca. What time is it? Twenty past two. Oh, I'm sorry no. to break into your sleep. I may be disturbing mm. you for nothing, but the emergency office has just rung through that a man has been found dead in the Place de la Concorde. A man in a fawn raincoat. Ah. Whereabouts in the Place? Uh, near the Quai des Tuileries. It's really a matter for the first arrondissement, but I've asked their chaps to leave everything as it is. Right. Send me a car. Tell them I'll be there in ten minutes. Very good, Chief. Mm. Oh, dear. Well, do you suppose it'll be a long business? Oh, I can't tell. Couldn't you send a sergeant? No, I'm afraid not. It's too important. And the car is on its way. Chief Inspector. Ah, my old friend, Sergeant Lecoeur. You've got a body for me? Right here, Chief Inspector. Underneath the Macintosh. Stabbed in the back, sir. Yes, so I see. Yes, straight to the heart between the fifth and sixth. It's the work of a professional. There's something else you ought to see, sir. Mm -hmm. uh, with your permission, I'll just turn his head. Go ahead, Sergeant. Good God. They haven't left much to recognise him by. As you say, sir. Did they do that first and then knife him, or was it the other way around? Oh, I don't know. Leave that to forensic. But I don't believe the murder was committed here, Sergeant. No, sir? This man was on the run down narrow streets, dodging between little cafes. If you were a hunted man, Lecoe, with a murderer at your heels, would you venture into the wide open spaces of the Place de la Concorde? Very likely not, sir. You see, he was killed somewhere else and for some reason dumped here.
Is this an important case, Maygrave? I don't know yet. It's just that you don't usually wait up all night for my report. There's something special about this one. What time do you estimate the murder? Between 8 and 10 last night. But not in the Place de la Concorde? Most unlikely. Doesn't something strike you as odd? Mm-hmm. Usually when people take the risk of transporting a murdered body, it's to hide it or delay discovery. Yeah, I see what you're getting at. In this case, the murderers seem to want the body discovered. Hmm. Well, they certainly took care that it wouldn't be easily recognised. Those blows on the face were made with a heavy implement. Before death? After. Half an hour, perhaps. And I'll stake my oath that this was no unpremeditated knifing. It was executed quite deliberately. Looks to me as if the victim had been held motionless or fastened up in some way, and literally operated on. Mm. Cold-blooded and brutal. And that would have been about four hours after the last time he spoke to me on the phone. Morning, Lucas. Yeah. Uh, sit down. Thank you. Anything to report? Sergeant Lecur of the 1st Arrondissement rang about an hour ago. Mm-hmm. Apparently, a motorist had seen two men in the Place de la Concorde removing something from a car which might have been a body. He reported the matter to the first policeman he saw, but uh, this was a good deal later as he'd been celebrating with some friends and forgotten all about it. Any details about the car? Yes. A yellow Citron with a Paris registration number, the last two figures, three and eight. Mm. I've been ringing round, but no luck so far. Anything from records on the body? Nothing. No reports, no fingerprints. So he's never been in trouble? No. Tell me, Luca, do you like Branda de Moreau? Ah, my favourite fish mm. dish. Does your wife often make it for you? No, it's too much bother. So you only have it when you eat out? That's right. Well, it's not often on the menu. According to Dr. Pohl, this man had some brandard in the contents of his stomach. Did he now? Get Torrance and two or three more to help you. Ring up all the restaurants, beginning with the ones in the district where you were working yesterday, and ask if any of them had brandard on their evening menu. There's just a chance our man might have eaten at one of them and someone may remember him. Right, Chief. If you want me, I shall be upstairs in the technical branch with Janvier. Now, take the knife and put the tip through the rent in the raincoat as before. Good. Now, don't move while I look underneath at the jacket. There. There, you see, the rents in the two garments don't coincide. There's a good four inches between the tear in the jacket and the one in the coat. What does that mean to you? That he wasn't wearing his raincoat when he was killed. That's right. Yet the tear in the coat suggests that he was. It was made afterwards to give that impression. The murder was committed indoors, but whoever did it wanted to make us think it had happened in the open. Why should they want to do that? For the same reason that they took the risky course of dumping the corpse in the Place de la Concorde. To mislead us. Instead of concealing the body, they wanted to spread false clues. But why? (laughs) I dare say the Chief of Police will ask me the same question. Well, Maygray, so they got your man after all, didn't they? Your dead man. Yes. Yes, I must confess, I was inclined to think you were dealing with a lunatic or a practical joker. I don't know why, but I believe... 
Tell you the truth, I'm worried. Too many things about this case don't hang together. Huh? If they wanted the body discovered, why render him unrecognisable? And why four hours of silence between his last phone call and the murder? Oh, well, do what you can. Oh, by the way, the Director of Prosecutions has put Judge Comelio in charge of the preliminary investigation. You ought to see him. Oh, must I? Yes, I know you can't stand him, neither can I. But he is rather prickly about the formalities. Yes, I suppose I'll have to see the old baboon. Ah, Megre. I'm delighted to see you at last. I've rung your office five times, unfortunately. You couldn't get me. I'm afraid I've been busy, Judge. I'm glad to hear it. Please sit down. Thank you. Megre, do you consider it normal that after three days this man has not yet been identified? He must have a wife or friends, neighbours, people who've grown used to seeing him go down the street at certain times each now, day. Now, tell me, Judge, have you ever had a dried pea pushed up your nose? What? It was a game I used to play as a child. With a pea up your nostril, you can go past people you see every day and they won't know you. Now, try it one day, Judge. You'd be surprised. But, of course, this man's face had been badly knocked about. All the same, we've made some progress. Such as? We know he drinks sous citron, an unusual aperitif with a low alcohol content. So what? Even more interesting, he had splay feet. Walked with his toes, turned out. How fascinating. Yes, yes, I thought so. And what does that mean? That he was a ballet dancer? An ingenious idea, but no, his feet were also flat. On a hunch, I had Luca try the race courses. It took a long time and can hardly be described as formal identification on account of the facial alteration. Quite a few people thought they recognised him when they saw the photograph. Apparently, he was quite irregular. So where does all this get us? The evidence we've assembled points to his being in the drinks business. The drinks business? A professional term covering barmen, waiters, bottle washers, proprietors. Uh, so he was a waiter? I don't think so. Why not? Because although the white shirt he was wearing was an old one, it was worn almost threadbare at the collar, it showed no traces of wear at the cuffs. Now, the proprietor of a bar, especially a small one, has to keep dipping his hands into water and therefore always has his sleeves rolled up. And on this, you presume your man was the proprietor of a small bar? <clears throat> I see. Have you any other developments? There was this yellow car, I believe. Oh, that was seen at the Keoni Cart on Wednesday at 8.10. The car was standing outside the house because it had broken down and two men were bending over the bonnet. The point is that it was ten past eight, and according to the post-mortem, the crime was committed between eight and ten o'clock. So what line are you pursuing now? <clears throat> I'm waiting. For what? For something to turn up. That's the only thing to do, isn't it? We've reached a deadlock. Great. Uh, Luca here, Chief. Ah. Sorry to ring you so late. There's been a fresh development. Let's hear it. It's about that car. A witness turned up half an hour ago claiming to have seen it. I saw her in your office. She's there now. Unfortunately, she strikes me as being a bit crazy. Publicity about crime always brings out the loonies. Where does she live? On the Quai de Charenton. What does she do, this loony of yours? Now, that's the snack. She's a fortune teller, or oh. clairvoyant, as oh, she oh. insists on being called, and alarmingly voluble. Mm. 
She tried to make me believe she never read the papers and has only to go into a trance to know all about current events. <laughs> you didn't let her get away with that. Well, in the end, she admitted that she might just have cast an eye on a paper left behind by one of her clients. <laughs> That's obviously where she read the description of the yellow car. She claims she saw it on Wednesday night, less than a hundred yards from where she lives at about 9pm. Did she see the occupants? She saw two men go into a house. Can she identify it? It's a small cafe at the corner of the embankment and some street or other. It's called Au Petit Albert. Has she any idea how long the car stopped outside? About half an hour, apparently. She happened to be looking out of the window when the men came out and drove away. Were they carrying a bundle or anything with them? You know what I mean. No. No, she certainly they weren't no. carrying anything. That's what bothers me. There's also the time factor. What were they doing with a corpse from 9pm to 1am? Hmm. Hang on to her. I'll be straight over. Take a photograph. That'll make her happy. It was bound to happen, Chief Inspector. Look what's written on the front of the cafe. Oh, Petit Albert? I don't quite follow, madame. Petit Albert! Albertus Pavus. What? Surely you know it's a book of magic dating from the 14th century? I'm afraid I don't. <laughs> These things don't happen by chance. Either he's an initiate... Or else he's committed a sacrilege. Um, but if his name really is Albert, and he really is a little man... Oh, he's a little man, all right. I've often seen him and his wife. Big, dark girl, rather a slut. I wouldn't like to eat anything she cooked. And she always reeks of garlic. How long have the shutters been closed? I don't know. The day after I saw the car, I stayed in bed with flu. When I got up again, the cafe was closed, and I thought, good riddance. Was it noisy? Oh, no. Hardly anybody went there. The men working the crane down on the quay used to go there for their dinner, and the cellarmen from the wine merchants. Some bargees used to drop in for a drink. And there's nothing else you can think of which struck you particularly? Mm, not at the moment. Now, about my picture appearing in the papers, I don't want them saying I do fortune-telling with cards. That would be like describing you as a mere policeman. That wouldn't worry me. Well, it would me. It would damage my reputation. Hmm. Well, it's not locked up, Chief. And everything looks intact. Strange. Cafe's been standing empty for four days, perhaps with the door unlocked. Mm. Is there anything in the till? A few hundred francs. They weren't interested in cash, evidently. Hmm. The sawdust here appears to have been carefully swept. To cover traces of blood? Yeah, possibly. Come on, let's have a look upstairs. Well, they've obviously been through everything. What do you suppose they were searching for? Something pretty small to account for such a meticulous search. Now, what's that under the bed? <sighs> Ah, harmonica. Perhaps our little Albert was a musician. I presume this is his photograph beside the bed. Yes, it corresponds to the various descriptions Janvier picked up, a round, cheerful face with a quiff on his forehead. Bit of a clown. It's him, all right. And look at that jacket on the back of the chair. Ah, yeah. Matches the trousers on the corpse. So, between four o'clock and eight o'clock on the night of the murder, Albert came home and changed into something comfortable... And at a meal, as I suspected. So, he must have felt safe during that time. 
Yes, mistaken, as it turned out. Because this is where they tracked him down and did him in. Poor little Albert. Well, one thing's certain. Neen isn't here. There you are. Oh. Since we're in a bar, we might as well give ourselves a drink. Hmm. Thanks, Chief. Here's to your crazy clairvoyant. She's given us the break we need. You think it is a break? Well, it could well be. As soon as the regular customers learn that the place is open again, they'll be back. And if we listen, we'll learn something. It'll puzzle the hell out of Albert's murderers to see the place open as usual. <laughs> yeah, but who's going to run it? Yeah. Who have we got who could do the job? Well, there's Chevy, eh? His parents used to keep a hotel. He helped them until he did his military service. Good. Contact him as soon as you get back to the station. Right. And you need to get hold of a cook. Oh, that's no problem. His wife. Pretty girl. <clears throat> what are you going to do? I'm staying here. All night? And more, if necessary. I'm not leaving this place until we've got what we're looking for. Well, I'll see you tomorrow morning. As soon as you've checked those details, slip out quietly. Good night, Chief. Good night. Hello? It's me, dear. Where on earth are you? In a nice little cafe on the Quai de Charenton. I suppose it's no good my asking what you're doing there. <laughs> I've taken it over. Taken it over? Completely. I'm staying here for the night. Good heavens. Where are you going to sleep? In the bar. <laughs> I'm making up a bed on the chaise lounge. Well, when am I going to see you? Might even be tomorrow. Well, mind it is. And mind you get a good night's rest. That's just what I intend to do. Good night, my dear. Congratulations, Chevrolet. Anyone would think you've been in the business? Yes. Why, it's in my blood, Chief. It's the same with my wife. She's a most excellent cook. You've a full house of satisfied customers. It's partly the midday rush hour. Hey, Patron, we're waiting. Excuse me, Chief, I think I'm wanted. That's better. Oh, one bottle of red wine and two glasses. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, good thing you're open again. These last few days we've had a ten-minute walk for a drink. Does the other chap retired then? He was a decent sort. Oh, been in for long? Only the last fortnight since we've been working round here. Yeah. Who's that big chap? Keeps wandering in behind the bar. Doesn't look like he belonged here. Ah, it's my father-in-law. Oh. So that girl that's helping you out's your wife. Lucky for some, eh? Yeah. <laughs> 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 You're my father-in-law, Chief. I'm what? Those chaps over there, they were asking who you are. Oh, I see. That's a good idea. <laughs> uh, monsieur, yes? one export cassis, please. Ah, fricando veal with sorrel, special today. Hmm. I might stay to lunch. One export cassis coming up, monsieur. Thank you. You're looking very smart, Luca. Ah, why not? <laughs> Cheers, Chief. Cheers. Well, what have you found out? Well, according to the tax office, his name's Albert Rochin. He took out the license four years ago. Anything of interest from the local police station? No, nothing against him there. The cafe is perfectly respectable. How are the customers reacting to finding it open again? Well, they don't seem surprised. They probably think Albert sold out. Hmm. I wonder if that's the general view. Chevy will be getting all the gossip eventually. The trouble is, what with the waiting and everything, he has to be in and out. What we need is someone listening all the time. All right, Luca, you'd better stop for lunch and see what you can pick up. Oh, Chief, what a good idea. Hi, uh, Patron. 
What's become of Albert? Has he struck it lucky at last? He's gone into the country for a while. Ah, oh, when you've taken on his job, eh? Will he take Neen with him? Maybe he'll get a bit less garlic, which won't be a bad thing. <laughs> My wife is a first-class cook. Oh, Albert's a good sort, apart from being crazy about the horses. What I can't understand is him leaving his place shut up for four days. Here, uh, we'll have another bottle of this to wash down the cheese. That's a good idea. Yeah, certainly, monsieur. You did ask for camembert, monsieur. Rockfall, but what does it matter? <laughs> Any excuse to talk to a pretty girl? Yeah. <laughs> How are you keeping, sweetheart? Very well, thanks. But if you wouldn't mind removing your hands... <laughs> Oops, sorry, darling. Anything to oblige? <laughs> <laughs> Dated little piece, eh? Yeah, one up on me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's going to be trouble with the patron if you chaps keep letting your hands wander over his wife's backside. Well, that's the drawback of having a pretty girl waiting in a place like this. Yeah. No trouble of that kind with Nee. No? <laughs> well, you don't know her. I've never seen her. Well, you haven't missed much. She'd be safe in a room full of Senegalese. <laughs> Good-hearted, though, isn't she, surely? Oh, yeah. I reckon I'll burn you what he was doing when he got fixed up with her. No risk of anyone trying to get off with Nee. <laughs> what sort of age is she? Oh, uh... Maybe 30, maybe 50. Depends which side of her face you look. <laughs> she's not too bad on the side of her good eye. Oh, you, you mean she squints? Oh, does she, eh, now? <laughs> she could look at the tips of your shoes on the top of the Eiffel Tower at one and the same time. No trouble. Is <laughs> <laughs> um, Albert fond of her? Well, how shall I put it, eh? Albert is a bloke that likes to take things easy. With Nene, he never has to do a hand's turn. She's quite happy to cook and wash up and look after the place while he goes off to the races. Besides, she contributes. Got a bit of dough herself, apparently. <laughs> Don't know how she earned it. Well, not on the game. <laughs> not with her looks. <laughs> you got to join me, Chief? Yes. We appear to be the only ones left. I gather Albert's Neen is nice, but definitely not naughty. <laughs> hmm. From Toulouse, apparently. I wonder what's become of her. Mm. Look her. Hmm? Don't look too obviously. Can you see what I see at the window? Yes. Red hair. Scruffy looking. Bit dim-witted. I think he's coming in. Whatever he's doing here, he can't make out what's going on. My God, he's certainly knocking back that brandy. He's panicking. He's off. Get out, Sam. Keep him inside till I catch up, Luca. Chevrier, call the taxi. Watch out for a big man who's chasing a red-haired, scruffy fella. All right, Governor. It won't be moving all that fast now we've come into more crowded streets. Is that him, Governor? The, the big man on the other side? Keep it off the pavement? Yeah, that's him. Can you see the red-haired fella? There he is. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Do you want me to catch him up? No, no, keep behind him some way back. But don't lose sight of him. It's been at that bar nearly five minutes. 
Funny sort of time to stop to make a phone call. Aren't you afraid he's after something? No, my man's in there, keeping an eye on him. Well, are you going to make an arrest? Not yet. Well, here he comes, followed by your man. Here we go again. I don't think it'll be for much longer. I think he's close to home now. Poor beggar. I almost feel sorry for him. You sure he's a villain? He's a suspect. We just need to find where he hides out. Now, where the hell's he got to? Blimey, what a district. I don't bring any fast down here after dark. You're wiser not to. Just the sort of area they'd hole up in. There he is. Where? He turned down that alleyway. At the back, there. You stay here. I'm going after him. Damnation. Luca, I thought they'd shot you. Don't you? It was him they got. Just as I came up. I didn't get a sight of who pulled the trigger. One of his own gang. It seems they'd stop at nothing to cover their tracks. What I don't understand is what brought him back to Albert's cafe. Another corpse? Shot down under our eyes in the middle of the street. Which district? Why de Cecile? Oh, that Warren. Whores, petty criminals and illegal immigrants. Can you let me have about 20 men and a plain clothes officer who's thoroughly familiar with the area? We've got to lay siege to it. Very well. I fancy there may be quite a gang of them, perfectly prepared to kill. Arms to be issued. <clears throat> right. Carry on, Maigret. It's all yours. And don't forget to inform Judge Camelio. Oh, dear. Oh, Luca. Morning, Chief. What have you got? The dead man's trade union card. Name's mm. Victor Polienski, Czech nationality, a worker at the Citroen factory. What address? 132 Quai de Javal. Oh, wait a minute. I know that. Dirty lodging house at the corner. We made a raid there about two years ago. Oh, yeah. Find out if it's on the phone and check with Citroen. I'll put Janvier on. Mm. Maigret. Well, Chief Inspector, how is the investigation going? Splendidly. We've already got another corpse. What? What did you say? Another corpse, but this time it's one of them. Do you mean the police killed him? No, no, no. The other gentleman did the job. What other gentleman? Accomplices, probably. Have they been arrested? Not yet. I'm afraid it's going to be a long and difficult business, Judge. It's a nasty case. We're dealing with killers. I presume that if they'd not been killers, there would have been no case at all. I mean they kill cold-bloodedly to protect themselves. They had no hesitation about shooting down one of their own gang. But why? Probably because it was no more use to them and was liable to betray their hiding place. It's a nasty district, one of the worst in Paris. A nest of foreigners without identity papers, or with forged ones. What are you proposing to do? There'll be a raid tonight, but it won't result in anything. I hope it won't result in any fresh victims. What time are you planning to carry it out? The usual, two in the morning. Send me your report as soon as possible. Goodbye. Goodbye, Judge. We've got hold of that lodging house, Chief. The concierge is on the line now. Right, I'll take it. Hello? Is that 132 K de Javel? Yes. Is Polienski there? Victor Polienski? Maybe. Who wants to know? Is he there? Is it any of your business? I'm a friend of his. You mean you're a cop? All right, all right. Does Polienski live at your place or not? We'll check up on what you say. He's not been here for the past six months. Where did he work? Citroen. Had he been in France a long time? I don't know anything about it. Could he speak French? No. Idiot could hardly speak at all, let alone French. How long did he stay with you? 
about three months. Had he any friends? Did he have any visitors? No. Were his papers in order? Your hotel section didn't complain. Now, one more question. Did he bring women home? Oh, look here, you pig. Do you think I'm going to listen to this sort of thing? <laughs> I've offended the lady. Ah, Janvier, what had Citroën to say? Apparently, he worked in a factory as an unskilled labourer for three months, but he's not been on the payroll for nearly six. So the old girl was speaking the truth. Luca! Yeah? Anything else in his pockets beside his union card? Uh, one old wallet with a photograph of a girl, around 19, two thousand franc and three hundred franc notes, and this knife. Careful, Chief, it's razor sharp. Probably the one that finished off little Albert. Yeah. Any news of the yellow citron? Nothing fresh, Chief. But somebody said they'd seen it in the Barbès Rochoir district. The Barbès district? That's near the Gare du Nord. Albert worked for quite a time in a cafe around there, according to his customers. You hungry, Luca? Ah, good evening, Chief Inspector. Ah, oh, Monsieur Pierre. How nice to see you again. And Sergeant um, uh, Luca, isn't it? That's yes. right. Is uh, everything to your satisfaction? An excellent meal. But we've come here this evening to combine pleasure with a little business. <laughs> the pleasure is all mine, sir. And what can I do for your business? Some information. Did you once have a waiter here called Albert Rochin, known as Little Albert? Albert Rochin. Ah, of course. Yes, a boy from the north, no longer with us, unfortunately. I was sorry to lose him. You see, what matters most in our business is cheerfulness. People like to see smiling faces. Albert was always smiling, always humming to himself, <laughs> making jokes. Did he play the harmonica at all? The harmonica? No, not that I know of. Uh, he left you to set up on his own account, did he? Oh, somewhere near Charenton, yes. Had he been left money? Not to my knowledge. I think he got married. Did you ever meet his wife? Uh, yes, he brought her to see me once. A, a dark girl, rather plain. With a squint? A bit cross-eyed, certainly. Uh, you don't know her maiden name? No. Now, I seem to remember that she was some relation of his, a cousin or something. They'd always known one another. <laughs> Albert used to say, since you've got to do it in the end, it might as well be with someone you know. <laughs> <laughs> he liked his joke, a real comic. He'd have made his fortune on the horse. If you run into him, do give him my kind of gun. Yes, yes, yes. Excuse me, gentlemen, I'm wanted in the kitchens. Does that get us any further? Maybe a little helps. What time do you make it? Just after ten. Let's have another drink. It's four hours before they blow the whistles. Could have been pulled down years ago. Burnt down with all the lice and fleas from every country in the world. Chief! Yeah? I think I've got something for you. Right. Come on, Luca. In here, Chief. Just look at this squalor. Filthy blankets, filthy mattresses. Look at that electric light flex. Completely bare. Luca. Yeah? Get the lodging housekeeper up here double quick. All right, Chief. Oh! Oh! oh. My God, who's she? I can't find out. She refuses to speak. But I tried to make her get up. She bit me. Look at my hand. She's drawn blood. A wild animal. A very beautiful wild animal. Not much more than 20. Can you speak French? French. Can you understand? Good God, she's in labour. Go down to the desk. Ring for the ambulance. Double quick. Right. In here, you. Here's the lodging housekeeper, Chief. Who's this woman? They call her Maria. Maria what? I don't know. 
I don't think she's got another name. She hasn't got another name. What have you written in your records? The people who live here. Were they down in your book? How many of them are there? I don't know. You don't know? Do you know anything? Uh, <clears throat> Does uh, this woman speak French? Perhaps. You realise she's in labour. When did this begin? I don't know. It's nothing to do with me. But where are the others? They must have gone. When? They made off as soon as that man was shot in the street, didn't they? Now, look at this photograph. You know this man, don't you? Now, come on, admit it. So what? What was his name? Victor. Did he live in this room? In the other room. He slept with the woman? They all did. How do you know? Well... What did you do? Make a hole in the wall? Fancy to yourself, did you? What if I did? There's no law against it. How many of them are there? Three, four... What are they? Check? Who knows? And showed you this photo, right? Yes. You said you didn't know the man. I said he wasn't a lodger. Now, what do you mean? He's not registered here, nor is the woman. Both rooms are in another fellow's name. Since when? Well, about five months ago. Now, what's his name? Serge Maddock. Tell me about him. Is he a Czech? Blatz was on his papers. <laughs> they all speak the same godforsaken language. How old? About 30. Told me he worked in a factory. Did he? Nah. He used to stop here all day. So did the others. Except there was always one hanging about outside on the street. On watch, I suppose. What did they do with themselves? Nothing. Play cards, eat, drink, sleep. Sometimes they sang. Sang? Yeah. Victor played the harmonica. Matt Keeney was. Even used to play it walking along the street. I see. How many of them were there? Four men and Maria. Sometimes they quarrel over her. They're all crazy about her. Even Carl. Now, wait a minute. I want to get these names straight. First, the woman, Maria. Then, Carl. Serge Maddock. The rooms were booked in his name. And Victor Polensky, the one who's dead. Who else? There's the kid, Piet. He was more in love with her than any of them. How old? 16, 17, curly hair, baby face. None of them worked, and yet they spent a good deal of money, judging by all the empty champagne bottles. This district they did. Well, from time to time they had to tighten their belts. Did anyone come to see them? Well? Somebody came, two or three times. Well-dressed bloke. Very elegant. A Frenchman? I doubt it. He spoke their lingo. How long before you rumbled what they were up to? What do you mean? Now, don't give me that. What do people live on who go into hiding in a dump like this and don't attempt to find a job? That's none of my business. Yes, it is. Someone threatened to bump you off if you poked your nose in, didn't they? Now, who was it? Carl, the dark, thick-set one. When? The first time they came back after staying away all night. How many times did they do that? Four or five. And when did you realise they were killers? Hmm? Now, come on. I caught the woman washing a shirt in the basin, saw there was blood on it. And they all left yesterday, immediately after the shooting, huh? What happened exactly? A phone call came through around four o'clock. Carl took it, immediately rushed upstairs, shouting, cursing. <laughs> then Maddock came down and went out. I'm pretty sure he had a gun. So it was Maddock who shot his old pal Polyensky. That's what it looks like. They didn't try and take the woman with them? No, nah, I guessed there was going to be trouble, so I told her to get out. She just lay there calmly, not bothering to answer. She understands far more French than she lets on. Then suddenly her pains took her, and I realised what was up. All right. Now, I've one more question to ask you. Now, think carefully. Did you note the dates of the nights when the gang was away? Why should I? I warned you to think carefully. Tomorrow morning I shall send for you and I shall want those dates, the exact dates, or I shall have you locked up. Um, 
Supposing I did remember, would you give me protection? You're afraid of them, aren't you? Well, who wouldn't be? All right. I'll post two men, one at the back and one at the front. Ah, Chief, you'll be delighted to know that Maria has just given birth to a bouncing nine-pound boy. Mother and child both doing well. Excellent. This gentleman is Monsieur France Lael, from the Czech Embassy. How do you do? How do you do? Well, let's go in, then. May we come in? You may, but you're not to tell her. When I give the sign, please leave at once, quietly. We shall stay only as long as is necessary. Please enter, monsieur. Now, this is the young woman, and that's her baby. Will you please tell her who I am and ask her her name? I would suspect that she speaks Slovak rather than Czech. Please go ahead. Tolea Inspector Megre od Parzijskiej Policji. Můžete mu říct, jak se jmenujete? Něch jde do pekla. A ve s ním. Teda všetkých mě návadím. That was slower? Yes. I think I got the gist of it, but uh, if you wouldn't mind. She told us both to go to hell and said she hated the lot of us. I see. Well, at least we know where we stand. I shall now proceed to question her. And when I've finished, hand you this typed sheet, which you can put to her in her own language. But from what I've learned, I suspect she knows far more French than she pretends. Now, Maria. On the night of October the 12th, an old farmer and his wife were brutally hacked to death with an axe on their farm at Saint-Aubin in Picardy. On the night of December the 8th and 9th, an entire family was murdered in the same way at Saint-Gilles-les-Vedreuves, also in Picardy. While previously, on November the 21st, an old couple and their servant, a poor half-wit, had been attacked on their lonely farmstead. What can you say about that? How long are you going on with this? I believe the doctor only gave you permission for a few minutes' visit. Now, don't worry. She's strong enough. Just look at her. Until December the 8th, nothing was known about the murderers because they had left no survivors. But on December the 8th, a nine-year-old girl managed to slip out of her bed and hide in a corner. The child saw things and heard things. She saw a dark-haired young woman, a beautiful, wild-looking creature, burning her mother's feet with a candle flame, while one of the men split the old grandfather's head open and another poured out drinks for his mates. The farmer's wife screamed and prayed and writhed in agony while this woman smiled as she inflicted an even more excruciating torture, burning her breasts with cigarette ends. Please, you're surely not suggesting this young girl was responsible. Monsieur, would you please ask her if she understood that? I'd like to point out that your time's up, monsieur. Now, what are the people I've just been speaking about? Was their time up too? She's got to feed her baby. Well, let her feed it. I assure you she's got no more modesty than she has morals. Really? I will continue. The little girl who escaped the slaughter was confronted this morning with a photograph of this woman transmitted by radio. She hadn't been given any warning. She was merely shown the picture, but her reaction was so violent that she had a fit of hysterics. Well, monsieur, ask this woman what she has to say to that. Does she realize that this evidence incriminates her? Ask her that. Rosumete, Supravio Jekyll, Polizzini, Inspector. I asked her if she understood, but she's obviously not going to talk. I'll give her one more chance because lives depend on it. And this will be taken into consideration when she comes up for trial. The dates I've given represent a six-week period between crimes. That's roughly the time it takes for the gang to spend their money. 
If the gang's funds are low, we can expect a new outrage shortly. I'm not asking where her friends are at the moment, or even the name of their leader. All I want to know is if they're running short of cash. Just that. Yes or no? Ask her. Inspector Rijike, je estli odpovite na tuli otasku so tvovizma fuvahu. Otaskazni. Nemai vaši pšatele nedostatek penjec? She's not going to answer. It doesn't matter. Tell her I shall be back, that I'm asking her to think it over. There's a good reason. She has a child now. But you realize the reason I've called this meeting is that the paths of investigation of two apparently unrelated crimes appear to have crossed. For five months now, the officers of the Sûreté Nationale have been engaged in tracking down the so-called Picardy gang, who have been responsible for a series of murders in an area of that department under the supervision of Superintendent Columbani. And this gang appears to have been tracked down in the course of investigation into a an altogether different crime, the recent murder of a café proprietor, Albert Rachin. I gather that yesterday you attempted to interrogate the woman member of the so-called Picardy gang. Without success, I'm afraid, John. Meanwhile, since yesterday, we've got three wild beasts loose in Paris. Serge Madoc, Carl Benesch and young Pietro, who, for all his tender years, is as much a desperado as the others. And, of course, on top of these, the probable leader of the whole gang, the man who used to visit them and whose identity has so far evaded us. Mm -hmm. I assume that you have taken all necessary steps. Oh, yes. The railway stations have been warned, main roads and frontiers notified. It's all routine. But indispensable. And it's all been done, especially a watch on lodging houses, because these men have got to sleep somewhere. A newspaper editor has made a complaint to me about your refusal to give any information to reporters. That's quite correct. I see no point in alarming the inhabitants of Paris by letting them know that there are killers at large in the street. I'm not criticising anyone, just trying to form an opinion. I would like to become quite clear how the case of the Picardy killers became linked with that of Albert Rochin. Uh, may I? Uh, please, Superintendent. Before the death of little Albert, or rather before the discovery of his body in the Plate de la Concorde, the gang, which by now was responsible for four massacres, enjoyed complete security. Nobody was familiar with the description of its members, except a child who had seen a woman torturing her mother, because all the men's faces were concealed by black scarves. No one, in fact, would have dreamed of looking for the Picardy killers in a slum dwelling in the Paris ghetto. Isn't that so, Megre? Absolutely, Conobani. Then why the connection? Did you find these scarves in that sleazy hotel, Megre? What is it called? Uh... The Hotel du Lion d'Or. No, we didn't. The connection through Albert was much less direct. Remember that when he rang me up, he said that there were several men on his heels and that they were working in relays. He wanted to come and see me. That means he had something to tell me, and his pursuers knew this. You mean something that would incriminate them? Almost certainly. Otherwise, why should they have stabbed him in his own cafe? And have you clearly established that this is what happened? I believe so. 
Under Albert's bed, I found a harmonica. It turns out that it belonged to Viktor Polensky. His fingerprints are on it. The thing that drew half-witted Viktor back to the scene of the crime without the knowledge of his accomplices and the cause of his death was his beloved lost harmonica. One question arises. Why did anyone take the trouble to transport the body to the Place de la Concorde? Megri, the people who put his body there, the men in the yellow car, were not his murderers. Then who were they? I don't know, but we shall soon find out. How? We know that about five in the afternoon, Albert made a phone call, which was not to us. He was asking his friends to help, Possibly. In any case, he made a rendezvous with somebody. And that somebody failed to turn up in time. How do you know? You're forgetting the yellow car. It broke down on the Quai Henri Cart for a fair length of time. So that the men travelling in it arrived too late. Exactly. And you are hoping to make contact with these men? Precisely. What about Albert's wife? Why wasn't she killed at the same time as her husband? Perhaps she wasn't in the cafe. Some men, when they have serious business in hand, get their wives out of the way. Don't you think, Inspector, that all this is taking us away from the trail of our gang of killers? What put us on their trail, Judge? Body in the Place de la Concorde, obviously. Now, why shouldn't it bring us back to it again? Why was there a body in the first place? You mean that Albert Rachel was killed because he knew too much? It seems very likely. And I'm trying to find out how he knew. Now, when I've discovered that, I shall also know what he knew. Uh, perhaps the train. To what train are you referring, Colabani? We've had a slight pointer since the last Piketty crime, Judge. Uh, please look at map number five, which is attached to the dossier. The, uh, the crime of January the 19th was committed at a farm belonging to a Madame Rival and her daughter, who were both killed. This farm, Les Nonnettes, stands about five kilometres from the village of Godeville, which has a railway station at which the slow trains stop. Now, on January the 19th, at 2017 hours, a man got off the train with a return ticket between Paris and Goderville. Have you got his description? Only a vague one. Apparently youngish, well-dressed. He went through the village along the main road and was not seen again. However, at a few minutes past six next morning, he took the train back to Paris from another small station, Mouchet. 21 kilometres further south. In the course of the night, he must inevitably have passed close to Les Nonnettes, where the murders occurred. When we received this information, we made inquiries at the Gare du Nord, because all tickets handed in on arrival are kept for a certain length of time. And it wasn't found. It hadn't been handed in. In other words, this passenger must either have got out of the wrong side of the train at the Gare du Nord, or else mingled with the crowd and disappeared at some suburban station, which is easy to do. So you think that this passenger is the head of the gang, the man that you want? We do. And the reason for Albert Rochard's death is bound up with this missing ticket. Come through to the sitting room. It's good of you to drop by. No, not at all. You know, after you left the meeting, old Judge uh, Camelio said, uh, 
Really, why does Maygrave try to do everything himself? He's no longer young enough to spend nights without sleep. <laughs> That's just what my wife says. Please sit down. Uh, Calvados. That, that would be most acceptable. Mm. I'll stick to my coffee, if you don't mind. It's just bringing me to life. <laughs> I've sent Janvier to cover the race courses to see if they have among their regular clients a handsome young man with a foreign accent. Ah, good idea. He, uh, he must be spending his loot somewhere. Mm. Could he really get through two and a half million francs in five months? Where are the races today? Uh, Vincennes. Oh, of course, of course, like last Tuesday. Then we concentrated on the cheaper ticket offices because Albert was only a small punter. Of course, two and a half million is the minimum sum the gang got their hands on. The farmers mm. they murdered probably had other hiding places which they were forced to reveal under torture. I wouldn't be surprised if the total came to, well, four million or more. Yeah. What could that squalid crew in the Lyon d'Or have spent their money on? Certainly not on clothes or outings. They merely ate, drank and shared the favours of the woman. It takes some time to eat and drink a million francs worth, even between five people. Mm. And yet, the expeditions followed one another pretty closely. Yes, which indicates that the boss kept most of it himself. Mm. Doesn't that indicate that what they're doing at the moment is trying to contact him, especially if they're out of money? But where are they going to find him? I imagine he was very careful to keep his whereabouts to himself. My God, of course, it's obvious where they're looking for him. At the race courses, <laughs> just like we are. Oh, excuse me. Maigret? Hmm. Jean-Vierre, Chief. Ah, yes. Reporting in from Vincennes. Are the races over? Half an hour ago. I stayed behind with the staff because it was difficult to talk to them while the racing was on. Yeah. I got a strong lead from one of them who's travelled in Central Europe and can recognise the languages. He says there's a Czech who regularly bets large sums, almost always on outsiders. He thought he was someone from the embassy. What made him think that? Because he's an upper-class type. Always yeah. beautifully dressed, loses regularly, and never bats an eyelid. And he's usually accompanied by a young, extremely pretty woman, always dressed in the height of fashion, looks like an actress. Ah. Films? Possibly. They were there this afternoon. Yes, good. As you are at uh, Vincennes, run over to Joinville. There are some studios just beyond the bridge. Film producers keep directories, casting lists, uh, with photographs. Take your race course attendant with you, check through them and see if you can find her. Very good, Chief. Where shall I ring back? Here, at home. Well, perhaps we're on to something. I have a feeling we're in for a hectic night. Mm. What about the woman, Maria? Have you had her transferred to the prison infirmary? Not yet. I'm using her as bait. I'm having the midday editions print the name of the hospital where she's been taken. You've got uh, plain clothes men keeping watch? There's four of them, as well as the men in uniform. There are several ways into the hospital, all under observation. Do you think they'll try something? Well, I wouldn't be surprised. They're all mad about her, and each one must believe that he's the father. Mind you, they won't hesitate to bump off any of their number who look like falling into our hands. Mm. Excuse me. Yes. <clears throat> Hello? Maigre, this is one of Albert's friends. Ah, um, excuse me, Colombani, a personal call. Oh. <clears throat> yes? Yes. Yes, in ten minutes. 
Yes, yes, exactly as I promised. Oh, forgive me. I, uh, I must have a word with my wife. No, 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 don't get up. Uh, that was your uncle, my dear. My uncle? Yes. Your aunt's husband. Huh? He seemed in a bit of a tiz. In fact, they both want to talk to us urgently. Oh, yes, why? Oh, my dear chap, uh, one of these family matters, I'm afraid I'll have to ask you to excuse me. Oh, that's quite all right. I've got to get back anyway. You'll uh, ring me if you hear anything fresh. Yes, I promise. Uh, let me see you out. Thanks. I have a feeling you'll be contacting me shortly. Yeah. In fact, it might save time if I make my way to your office. As you wish. I'll be in touch. All right. What was all that about? I needed to get Columbani out of the way before some people arrived. Uh. I rather suspect he rumbled what was going on. What is going on? I place an advertisement in the midday racing edition. There it is on the table. Oh. Albert's friends, for your safety's sake, urgently contact Maigret at home, 132 rue Richard-Lenoir. Absolute secrecy guaranteed. Who underlined it? What? Yes. Let me see. Ah, he has rumbled me. No wonder he winked when I let him out. <laughs> oh, never mind. He'll understand that certain things have to be done sub rosa. You can't contact people on the fringe of the underworld openly. And are they going to contact you here, alone? Yes, my dear. Now, that's why I want you to go for a little walk now. You needn't worry. I know them. They're quite harmless. Well, are you sure? As sure as I am that you're going out now. Very well. And are not coming back for another hour. Well, my friends, make yourselves at home. There's no one here apart from me. You have my word. Oh. You want to see for yourselves? We'll take your word. Well, Joe, we're well acquainted, but uh, tell me your friend's name. Ferdy. He keeps a garage. A small one. Not far from Port Mayo. Oh. You seem uneasy. Well, that notice of yours suggested some kind of danger. That's quite right. To begin with, I don't rate your chances if the checks get onto you. The checks? What checks? The Piccadilly gang. Why? Oh. We've done nothing to them. You haven't done anything to the police. But a lot of them are out looking for two men who own a certain yellow car. Mm. Oh, all right. You find that amusing? <laughs> I can quite imagine that the car is no longer yellow and that the number plate has been changed. Didn't you say Ferdy owned a small garage? All right, Governor. What is it, you one of us? You were friends of Albert. He... He was a good sort. How did you come across him? At the races. No, I thought as much. Were you both at Vincennes last Tuesday? Last Tuesday? Wasn't that when you won on Semiramis first? Ah, that's right. And Albert? He was there. We saw him in the distance. He was in the paddock. We were in the enclosure. And next day, Wednesday, did he ring you about five o'clock? Yeah, that's right. Now, boys, think carefully. I'd like to know exactly, word for word, if possible, what he said. Uh, which of you answered him? I did. What struck you about his call? He sounded very excited, like he was afraid of being cut off. Yeah? He, oh. told, he, he told me there were some fellas behind him and he was afraid. But he might have found a way of getting rid of them. Did he tell you what it was? No, but he seemed pleased with his idea. He said it was a pretty lousy business. But... We might all get something out of it. And to come and see him at his place and have a talk. At what time? Eight o'clock. Yeah. Any idea what he had in mind? No, but uh, just before he hung up, he said, 
I'll send Neen to the pictures. Now, that meant something serious. He also said something about the gang from up north. Now, listen, let's put our cards on the table. You thought your pal Albert had spotted the Piccadilly gang. You knew from the papers that they'd made off with several millions. Now, and you wondered if there wasn't a way of getting your share of it. Well? Yeah, that's what Albert had in mind. So what happened? We went along to his place. But on the way, you had a breakdown. Yeah, on the boulevard Henri Quatre. So you got to Albert's bistro a good half hour late. The shutters were closed, but the door was unlocked. That's right. And inside, you found Albert dead. He'd been knifed. So what did you do? Well, we didn't know what to do. <gasps> we could see the house had been searched. We wondered if some of the gang might have spotted us. We weren't feeling too good, I can tell you. We thought of Neen coming back from the pictures and finding... We couldn't let that happen. Yeah. There's only one cinema in Charenton, so we went there, didn't we? You found her and told her. Yeah. I wouldn't like to live through that again. She wanted to go back and see Albert, but we wouldn't let her, would we? No, no. You took it away? And where is she? <laughs> and in at Corbet, on the banks of the Seine. I've got a boat there, and we reckon it was safe. And after you'd settled her there, you went back for Albert's body. Yeah. What was the idea of disfiguring it? Well, I can't really explain. I, I was pretty worked up. If the body was recognised as Albert's, the cops would have been on a neen and she'd not have been able to keep her mouth shut. And dumping the body? Well, we thought it'd look as if he'd got knifed in the street for his money or something. As one more question. Since all this happened, you haven't received anything, have you? Like what? Well, an envelope containing something. No. No. You think Albert had something on him that he could use against the checks? Something he may have posted? Yeah, maybe. Now, what about a glass of Calvados, boys? Oh, yeah, please. Oh, sure, thanks. <clears throat> They're, uh... Won't be any trouble for anyone, will there? No, there's nothing to worry about, I promise. I merely ask you not to say anything to Neen. Well, oh, she won't thanks. have any bother, will she? Well, there's no reason why she should. She really loved Albert. Cheers. Luca, my boy, a job for you. Yes, sir. Get hold of all available detectives and divide the post offices of Paris between you. Question the clerks in charge of post restart. There must be a letter somewhere which has been waiting for several days in the name of Albert Rochin. Aha. Okay, Chief. And, Lucas, yeah. I want you to go particularly to the post office at Charenton. I have an idea it'll be there, but wherever it turns up, I want it brought back to me. Right. How many men can you muster? At the moment, about half a dozen. All right, get on with it. Right. Oh, Luca, mm -hmm. is Colombani around? Uh, yes, Chief. Tell him to come along. Right. Oh, uh, by the way, I think Janvier's got something for you. A yeah? photograph of some actress. Her name's Francine Latour. It's on the back of the photo with her address. 121 Rue de Longchamp, Petit. And her age, 20. Just now she's appearing at the Folie Bergère. Did the racecourse clerk recognise her? He certainly did. Hmm. Have you heard of Claude Marchand, Colombani? Oh, my dear chap, who hasn't <laughs> I think we might pay him a visit. We? Oh, if you're inviting me, I should be delighted. <laughs> Janvier, I want you to go to this girl's place. Take someone with you. Don't attract attention on any account. 
You want a discreet search of her flat? Not until I give the word. Now, one of you wait in a bar somewhere near at hand. And ring in here to give the number. On second thoughts, Janvier, you'd better wait in the hallway of the flats in case we need you. And take your guns. You never know. Sure, Chief. In the meantime, I'm taking Superintendent Colombani to the Folie Bergère. <laughs> Come and sit down, my dear fellows. <laughs> we just have time for a snack before the doors open. What do you say to Partridge mm. O'Shoe? Oh, wait a minute. Before that, let's have a small trout au bleu and uh, a few hors d'oeuvres to help us wait. <laughs> oh, and perhaps a souffle to end with. You call that a snack? Oh, one's got to keep up one's strength. So, gentlemen, now what can I do for you? Nothing wrong with my show, I hope. Not too saucy. <laughs> if I take you into my confidence, Claude... Can you keep quiet about it? Keep quiet? My dear chap, I do nothing but. If I told all the things I knew, Paris would collapse. <laughs> now, what can you tell me about Francine Latour? Oh, Francine. Well, uh, uh, she appears in a couple of turns with Drian the comic. Oh, she's just a kid starting to climb, but... Already she's dressed by couturiers, and, well, I'm told she's begun wearing diamonds. Last week, she turned up in a mink coat. Oh, make her own deductions. She's got lovers? A gentleman friend, like everyone else. Do you know him? I should think I do. Such a good-looking boy. Attractive, generous. Well, even if he has been done twice for passing worthless checks. A foreigner, isn't he? Oh, who isn't? Everyone calls him Monsieur Jean, but his real name is Bronsky. He's a Czech. They're also a worthless one. Oh, <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> oh, a real con man. Women adore him. What we're concerned with is far more serious than that. Oh, don't tell me. I'd rather read about it in tomorrow's papers. It might be awkward if he asked me to have a drink with him this evening. Have you seen him lately? Only last night. He always brings her to the theatre, hangs around backstage, then, after her second sketch, off they go together. Did he strike you as being more on edge than usual? People like him are always more or less on edge. Oh, this is all a pity for the kid's sake. Does he live with her? Oh, you'd better ask the concierge, probably. Any idea how he got started? All I know is... But he once ran an agency for extras. How long ago? Oh, quite soon after he came to Paris. I could find out. Oh, no, thank you. Don't bother. I'd rather you didn't mention our conversation this evening to anyone. Oh, oh you can rest assured. As far as I'm concerned, it never happened. Well, he gave us a damn good meal, I must say. It'll see us through the night. I trust he will hold his tongue. Oh, you needn't worry. For him, discretion and business go hand in hand. Chief. What's happened? One of the gang, Carl Banesh, is dead. Dead? Shot down right in front of me. I was standing in the darkness 50 yards or so from the hospital. There'd been noises to my right as if someone was hesitating to move forward. Then I heard running footsteps and a shot. I thought it was me being shot at. I could just make out a figure running off. I, I pulled my gun and fired. I got him in the leg. He was just a lad. So, Pietro got Carl and you got Pietro. Well, they... Took him straight to the hospital. Mm. They're going to operate. Is it serious? Well, I don't think so. A flesh wound, that's all. Thank you, Sergeant. Okay, Chief. 
They were both after Maria, and now they're both eliminated. She served her turn. I'll get a move to the prison infirmary. Oh, in the meantime, I'd better let the judge know what's happening. Mm. Uh, Chief, we've had a report that Serge Maddox's been picked up in a brothel. Oh, excellent, Lucas. Did he uh, put up any resistance? Not a lot. He was dead drunk. <laughs> judge Camellia. Megray here, Judge. Just to give you the latest. What is that? Pietro, the youngest member of the gang, has just shot Carl Benesch dead. Pietro himself was wounded. How did all this come about? They were both out to rescue Maria. Each one jealous of the other. You may remember I had foreseen this possibility and had all the hospital entrances under observation, with two men outside her room. How many of the gang remain to be accounted for? Only Serge Maddock. And reports just come in that he's been picked up. Well, there's still the leader, and we don't even know his name. Oh, yes, we do. He's a Czech named Bronsky. He's in the film business. Uh, have you any idea where to find him? Certainly. He's at the Folie Berger. The Folie Berger? Aren't you going to arrest him? Presently, in the right circumstances. I'd like to limit the damage, if you see what I mean. Oh, well. I shall be at home all the evening. Please ring me, whatever the hour, when you have some news. Goodbye, Judge. It's a pity examining magistrates don't do a tour of duty with the force to find out something about life. <laughs> oh, by the way, Chief, I have the dossier you asked for here from records. Ah, thank you. Bronsky, age 35, born Prague, studied University of Vienna, lived Berlin five years, married Hilda Braun. Came to France alone, age 28. Papers in order, described as film producer. Two years ago, received 18 months' sentence for issuing fraudulent checks. And that's all. The tip of the iceberg. Exactly. A wild beast dressed as a gentleman. <clears throat> Maigret. Marchand here. I've just had drinks with our friend and his lady. Yes? They're popping into Chez Florence on the way home. The Montmartre nightclub? Yes, champagne obligatory. <laughs> she probably wants to show off her jewellery. You'll have plenty of time to get to her place. Thank you, Claude. Not at all. Don't spoil his looks. Bronsky and his girl are on their way back to her place via the nightclub. Let's go. I'm taking my gun. Have you got yours? I always carry it. We'll take a taxi. It's less obvious. That's it. Just turn into it and stop it, I tell you. All right, slow down. Stop here. Keep your side lights on as if waiting for a fare. That's right. Uh, now, now we wait. What time is it? Quarter past one. Which is the house? It's ten yards on to the right. There are a couple of plainclothes men over the road, and Jean Vier is waiting in the hallway. Well, we may have to wait quite a time. Still, they're used to it. Yeah. 
There's a man getting out. He's paying off the cab. Don't scare the girl. Let's go. What the hell? What's going on? Hang on, I'll shut it for you. Let him spit out his venom. That's all he can do now. All right, mademoiselle, calm down. We are the police. Congratulations, Maigret. You've not only solved a most obscure murder, but smashed a vicious criminal gang. The one led to the other, sir. Yes, but only by the most devious of paths. Mm. Is Bronsky being questioned? He keeps demanding to be questioned, but we're letting him stew for a bit. Good. His girlfriend's with him. She insisted on coming. She thought the police had made a terrible mistake. Oh. <laughs> Has anyone disillusioned her? I gave her his charge sheet to read. She was starting to look quite ill. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, who knows? She may divulge some useful information. Oh, by the way, Luca retrieved a letter addressed to Albert Rochin from the Poste Restant at Charenton. I opened it. It contained a rail ticket. A return Paris Godaville? Yes, that was all. Uh, you've sent for those two station masters? Yes. Uh, As you know, the last of the so-called Picardy murders took place at a farm midway between Godaville and Moucher where the slow trains from Paris stop. Now, on the night in question, one man got out at Godaville and in the early hours of the following morning caught the train back to Paris from Moucher. Now, we believe the two station masters will identify Bronsky as this man, who evidently made the return journey without giving up his ticket at the Gare du Nord. A few days later, it was dropped at the Vincennes racecourse. Albert saw it and picked it up. He knew about the Picardy gang from the newspapers, and especially about this last murder. And he believed that he was onto something. Unfortunately, Bronsky realized what had happened. And from that moment, Albert was a hunted man whose only hope was to hide this vital piece of evidence and use it as a bargaining counter, not only for his own safety, but also to get a piece of the gang's profits. So he posted it to himself at the Poste Restant, at Charenton. Yes, he thought it ensured his safety. But it turned out to be his death warrant. He didn't realise that he wasn't dealing with ordinary crooks who might be prepared to negotiate, but with wild beasts who only wanted blood. Well, the only blood to flow now will be theirs. Hmm. And Maria? After all, she's a mother now. Leniency? With that evidence against her? Oh, I'd be very surprised. Anyway, that's not our business. And your business, my friend, is to get some sleep. Well, there's still the judge. Leave him to me. <laughs> your report can go in later. Go home, Maigret. Very well. But first I've been urged to see the sunrise at a little village called Corbeil. Good morning, madame. May I introduce myself? I'm Chief Inspector Maigret. Oh, Monsieur Maigret. And you are, I believe, Nine Rochin? Yes, I am. Uh, Monsieur... Now, please, madame, there's nothing to worry about. Will you do me the honour of letting me have breakfast with you? Of course. Allow me to pour you some coffee. Thank you. So, 
I believe we have met before. We didn't meet, but we were staying at the same hotel. Ah. I was with my mother. All the guests were talking about you. And this was where? Saint Valerie Uncou. Nidia? That's right. Now, let me see. That must be. Um... Oh, 20 years ago. <gasps> of course. I was on my honeymoon. <laughs> um, Albert was your cousin, wasn't he? Oh, second cousin. Ah. Oh, I scarcely knew him until I came to Paris after my parents died. But I'd heard a lot about him. And I went to see him. I was nearly 30, an old maid. Oh, you were lonely, and he was lonely. And so you made company for one another. Oh, poor Albert. If only you had known him. So kind, so cheerful. Always wanting to make everyone happy. If you knew how much I loved him. I never asked him to love me. I knew that wouldn't be possible. But... He made me believe he loved me in return. We were happy together. I don't know what happened that day at the races. We'd just been celebrating our wedding anniversary. He came back from laying one of his beds, looking worried. And, and from then on... He seemed to be on the lookout for somebody. He insisted on going home by taxi. And he dropped me there, saying he'd be back in an hour or two. But he didn't come back. And later he rang me to say he'd be home next morning. Next morning? Mm. The Wednesday? Yes. But he didn't come back. He rang me instead. What did he say? He told me. To go to the cinema. When I argued, he insisted and almost got angry. So I went. <laughs> Have you arrested them? Yes, yes, we've got them. Four men and a young woman. <laughs> something I've been wanting to do. In any case, I shall have to see you again. We've been making money out of your bistro and there are accounts to settle. Are you going to keep it on? Oh, I, I can't run it on my own. Now I've got nobody. Hmm. Have you ever thought of adopting a child? Adopting? Oh, no, I haven't. Why? Well, I know of a tiny baby which may soon be losing its mother. Oh, no. You don't mean... Well, let's leave it for now. Um, you think it over. A tiny baby? Well, it's not its fault, is it? Not in the least. And now I shall have to be getting along. I've some sleep to catch up on.
yet, dear? Not yet. Just thinking about poor little Albert. You know, mm -hmm. if he hadn't had that race girl's habit of scanning the ground for winning slips thrown away by mistake... And if it had been a winning slip and not a railway ticket... And if the name Godaville had not suggested the recent murders... And if he hadn't seen the man from whose pocket it fell... And if his face hadn't betrayed his thoughts to Bronsky... Then poor Albert would still be alive. Mm. Do you remember where we spent our honeymoon? <laughs> what a typical man's question. Of course I do. Would you like another holiday there? I'd like a holiday anywhere. We've not been away together for years. Oh, and perhaps we shall. Perhaps. There's just one thing. Mm -hmm. If anyone rings from the office, wake me at once. Nonsense. You're going straight to sleep. I'm going to take the phone off the hook and answer the door to nobody. Do you hear? Nobody. In Maigret's Special Murder by Georges Simonon, dramatised for radio by Malcolm Stewart, Bernard Hepton played Chief Inspector Maigret, Edward de Souza, Lucas, Jamie Roberts, Jean Vier, Peter Howell, Judge Camelio, and Garrard Green, the Chief of Police. Caroline John played Madame Maigret, Adrian Egan, Albert, Richard Durden, Columbani, Trevor Nichols, Joe, Ronald Herdman, Ferdy and Marchand, John Church, the lodging housekeeper, Anne Jameson, the madwoman and the concierge, Gordon Reed, the cafe proprietor, Eric Stovall, Dr. Pole and Chevrier, Elaine Claxton, Irma and Maria, and Avril Clark, the clairvoyant and Neen. The play was directed by Matthew Walters. <laughs>